Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. Along with the younger prodigal son and the merciful forgiving father, there's also a third character in that familiar parable of Jesus. And that's, of course, the older, good son, the one who stayed at home with his father to run the family farm, which in many ways is what makes him the character of that story who's the most like you and me. Concluding our current sermon series looking at the parable of the prodigal son from a certain point of view, here's a message entitled, The Rest of Us. I have to tell you this morning, first off, that as we have been looking at this particular parable of Jesus over the past few weeks, it's occurred to me that in the congregations I've served over the years as a pastor, there really hasn't been a whole lot of prodigals. Or at least as far as I know. Oh, to be sure, there have been a few people I've known in the church who have found their way back to the church after years of tumultuous, if not dissolute, living. Folks who, shall we say, experienced some sort of near miss in their own lives and then came to themselves in the process coming to know or at least becoming reacquainted with Jesus. People in the pews who just seem to exude this profound understanding they have of God's grace and love. As their pastor, I have been blessed, privileged really, to have heard some of their stories. But quite frankly, in my experience, these were people who really didn't need to tell you that once they were lost and now they were found, because Really, everything they did, everything they were, just shone forth humility and gratitude and true faith. But like I said, you know, it, it is true. Over the years, there have been really relatively few church members akin to the prodigal son of the parable. You know, people who walked in the front door of the church all awash in sin and covered in pig slop just doesn't happen. No, mostly the congregations I have served over the course of now 40, believe it or not, years of ministry, including this church I've served for 10 years, have been filled with, and up front I want to tell you, I mean this in the kindest possible way, this, these churches are filled with good people. <laughs> That's right, I said it. Good people, careful people. And by that, I mean people who are careful to work hard, to do the right thing, to do it faithfully and correctly and well, and to do it often, as often as possible. People who have been out there sitting in pews just like the ones you're sitting on today, quite literally, for their entire lives, from the time they were little children. People who not only have served on every possible church board and committee that there's ever been in the history of the church, but, but who have consistently been there and worked to further the church's ministry. 
And along the way, perchance, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God in all things. Yes, we're talking good people here. The pillars of the church, stalwarts of the congregation. These are the people, friends, that get the work done. And, might I add, without whom, I dare say, our churches would most certainly flounder and drift. People like, oh, I don't know, kind of like the elder son in Jesus' story of the prodigal son. Now, before I get into that, let's just remember what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, that Jesus was directing this parable of the prodigal son to the Pharisees and the scribes, a, group, a couple of groups of people who were grumbling about how Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them, and who had a real problem, theologically and otherwise, with the whole idea that there's a loving God who actually forgives sin and, moreover, embraces the sinner. Now, can you just imagine what the reaction of the Pharisees and the scribes would be as they first listened to Jesus telling this story? I mean, it's one thing to hear all about this younger son who repents from his sin and then goes back home. But what about this crazy father who not only runs willy-nil across the field to hug and kiss this ungrateful kid, but then also goes out and throws him a party, a big party. I mean, that is just against the rules. According to the Pharisees, you see, if you're going to be forgiven of your sin, and at best that's a long shot, then you have got to work on your righteousness. And righteousness, they say, requires diligence, hard work, and following the letter of the law in every possible way. You don't just get a fatted calf, don't you know? As the commercials used to say, you've got to earn it. Actually, you know, I can imagine that as Jesus gets to this part of the story, you know, about the elder son talking about how hard he's worked for the father, that one of the Pharisees turns to the other and says, you see, that's what I'm talking about. The Pharisees and the scribes, you see, see everything through the lens of the law. And so this whole scenario of a God who offers up grace and forgiveness for sin rather than judgment and damnation, well, that's a little more than unsettling for them. And of course, let's be honest, you and I, we see this through the lens of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Truly, this is at the very center of the gospel, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost and that God rejoices along with all the angels in heaven that those who were lost are now found, and those who were thought to be dead are alive again. It's amazing grace, and that's the whole point of this parable, isn't it? That having been said, however, when we hear it from the point of view of those grumbling scribes and Pharisees, turns out that they do raise a pretty good question. Especially when you do look at this parable from their point of view 
and from the certain point of view of that other elder son who turns up in those last few verses of the story that Chris just shared with us. Specifically, here's the question. What does this story mean for the elder son who didn't run off with his father's inheritance? Who didn't insult the family name? Who didn't squander everything in reckless living? And in fact stayed home and did everything he was supposed to do and then some. What about him? What about that elder son? And by extension, what does it say about the rest of us? All of us good people, or kind of good people, as Garrison Keillor used to say. The kind of people who day in and day out are simply out there trying to do the best we can to do good things and, and to live an authentic Christian life. That's the whole deal with the elder son. And that's the whole deal pretty much with most of us. Well, you know the story. The older brother had finished another long, hard day working in his father's fields. And as he's drawing near to home, hears the sound of music and dancing. And it's coming from his father's house. And he's told by one of the servants that his father is celebrating the return of his younger prodigal brother. And, of course, as we know, the elder brother is, to say the very least, offended by this. So offended, in fact, that he refuses to go into the house. And when his father comes out to plead with him to, to please come and join the celebration... Things only get worse from there. Listen, the elder son angrily says, and here, by the way, is how it is rendered in this new translation I've been looking at called The Voice. Listen, all these years I've worked hard for you. I've never dissipated even one of your orders. But how many times have you even given me a little goat to roast for a party with my friends? Not once. That's how many times. This is so not fair. So this son of yours, notice by the way, it's not my brother. It's this son of yours. This son of yours comes, this wasteful delinquent who has spent your hard-earned wealth on loose women, and what do you do? You butcher the fattest calf of our herd. <laughs> I actually love what Craig Barnes says about this. He says, this does not sound like someone who finds joy and fulfillment in his work. <laughs> no, he goes on to say, it sounds like someone who is just committed to doing what they think is right to obeying commands, to fulfilling expectations, no matter how unjoyful or unfulfilling that is. So, Barnes continues, when elder brothers hear about the extravagant grace of the father for the prodigal son, this one who was so irresponsible and who hurt this family so very badly, yes, it's offensive. Now, maybe you can't imagine that kind of response. Like I said before, we all know this story. We all 
kind of have this tacit understanding that the, the prodigal's repentance is followed by the father's forgiveness, and that assumes the father is rejoicing over his return. This is what leads to the great celebration, and so it should be. As the father himself says to the elder son, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, notice again, it's not my son, but this brother of yours. This brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he has been found. It just doesn't seem possible, to me anyway, that the elder son should be that offended. Especially given the younger son's return pretty much constitutes a miracle in the life of this family. But there you go. Sometimes for the elder siblings of this world, for all the good people out there, when it comes to others who have definitely fallen short of the mark, so to speak, it ends up so very often that it's hard to make sense of it or or to find justice in the fact that that they've gotten a pass, these younger sons. And worse than that, that they're getting celebrated for it. And you see it happen. Some years ago, in a prior church I served, there was a family who had started coming to a Sunday worship service on a fairly regular basis. And and really, I think the, the best and most charitable way I could describe these folks to you is to say that they were very rough around the edges. There was the mother and the father. There was the daughter who was a single mother with a young and very rambunctious child. And an older son who I soon learned had just been released from an extended stay in the county jail. Truthfully, I don't know how much church experience anyone in this family had ever had, if any at all. Frankly, I think they all came together in solidarity with the son who was trying earnestly to rebuild his life after his time in prison. But it, it, admittedly, it was rough and in more ways than one. Amongst other things, this was still a time and in, in, in a place where church suits and ties were very much the norm. They were not exactly, you see, dressed in what you would consider any kind of Sunday best. In fact, quite the opposite. Language was something of an issue, quite honestly, both in conversation and overheard from the pews. And frankly, both both, uh, the family just didn't really know how to deal with things in church, and the little one was more than a little bit unmanageable. But I got to tell you, to its everlasting credit, the folks in the church welcomed this family in and right from the get-go made them feel right at home in the congregation. I was really proud of them for that. Except, that is, for one rather prominent member of the congregation, one of the pillars of this church, as it were, one who, after a few weeks of this family being in worship, came to my office and demanded that as pastor, I immediately do something about these people. Yes. 
And when I very gently asked what it was I should be doing, he very angrily gave me a long list of grievances against his family. Their appearance, their behavior, a lack of what he referred to as proper worship etiquette, and on and on it went. And at the end of it all, he said to me, all I know is these people don't belong in our church. They give new members the wrong impression of our congregation, how we're supposed to act. They really need to go to church somewhere else and not here. And then, here's a coup de grace, glaring me straight in the eye, he added this for good measure. And if you don't get this straightened out and do what's right here, I will tell you one thing, that my wife and I will not be returning to this church. Now this might actually surprise you to hear, but I do not remember what I said in response to that. <laughs> to begin with, folks, I was pretty young and still fairly green as a church pastor. I was just kind of blown away by the whole thing to begin with. But even more than this, the person who was addressing me was one of the leaders of the congregation. A man I respected and I liked. A man whose faith and hard work in our church I not only admired, but I depended upon. I could not fathom what I was hearing coming out of his mouth. And, and I really just didn't know what to say. I knew what I wanted to say at that moment. Something to the effect of, well, I hope it goes well at your new church. But that didn't seem particularly prudent at the time. And like I said, I don't remember what it was I ended up saying, except that it wasn't to ask this family to leave the church. And by the way, they didn't, and neither did he. All these years later, though, and, and boy, I remember this, that day very vividly. And all these years later, as I thought back on it, I do know what I wished I'd said. And pretty much what I wish I'd said was what the merciful, forgiving father said to this angry elder son who was so offended by his brother, who by his estimation didn't deserve the grace of the father that he had received. Son. The father said, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Why can't you be happy that your brother has come home? Why can't we rejoice right along with all the angels in heaven over this sinner who has repented as much as we're glad about all the rest of us who have gone on with life and stand in little need of repentance? And isn't it great that all the grace and all the forgiveness and all the love of the so-called prodigal is what, all that he has received is that which the rest of us have already gotten. Isn't it wonderful that now we get to sing and dance and celebrate for this lost one who's home at last? Isn't it so good 
that the circle of love of our family is now expanding person by person and family by family and prodigal by prodigal. Wouldn't it be great if everyone could be part of the celebration? Why, that would almost be like the kingdom of God. You know, it seems to me that if, as we have said here, the definition of sin is that which separates us from God, then there's more than one sinner in this story of the prodigal son. That as this elder son insists on being right about what it takes to be considered righteous in the eyes of God, he ends up actually finding himself more apart from the father than he ever intended to be. And that is where, by the way, where the story ends. We're never told whether or not the elder son ends up going into the party. And in the larger sense, if he finally begins to understand that, yeah, he's always had the love of the father and all that it entails. And, and so that's so much more reason to rejoice than anything he can ever conceive. We don't know if he figures that out at long last or as the story comes to a close, he's just sitting there and continuing to sulk. The ending of this story is in fact unfinished. I think that's one of the genius parts of this story of Jesus. And as such, you know, that's the final point of view regarding Jesus' parable of the father with two sons. It turns out, you see, that the next and probably the most important point of view is ours. Turns out that it's up to us, to you and to you and to me, to write the last verses. And the question is, it always is, are you just going to receive the love and joy that's always been there for you from the beginning of creation? Are you going to accept the grace and forgiveness of God in your life? Are you going to celebrate others who have received that same gift? Are you going to sing? Are you going to dance? Are you going to celebrate? Are you going to rejoice that the lost one is home? Are you going to sit there and, if not sulk, and then why, or just sort of wonder why? I hope and pray that you go into the party. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, The Rest of Us, the third and final installment of our current sermon series we're calling, From a Certain Point of View, The Story of the Prodigal Son. It was recorded during our October the 16th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we'd like to invite you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord, New Hampshire. I would love to have a chance to welcome you, and I know you'll be glad you came. 
And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.